Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Can you still say that two days, three days after Thanksgiving? Happy Thanksgiving. And thank you as well for praying for, so if you haven't figured, if you're trying to do the math or figure out the relationship. So Emily is my sister, and I want to thank you for praying for John's wife and praying for my sister. And in fact, uh, before Emily's surgery was ever scheduled, we were planning to spend Thanksgiving together uh, this week, and then everything kind of, the, her se- surgery got scheduled on Monday, and uh, so we went to Nashville, and we were there together, and thinking we were going to be back for Thanksgiving, uh, potentially, which is crazy, you know, brain surgery, thinking they're going to let you out two days later, but, you know, that's what they told us, and that's what we thought was going to happen, and that didn't happen, Go, big surprise, but three days later, still brain surgery, three days out of the hospital is just nuts. Um, but as a result, kind of threw everything into, into a whack, into a you know, wacky world or whatever. And so we ended up today, the exciting thing is, is we had a Thanksgiving meal on Thursday, but today we were actually having a second Thanksgiving meal uh, afterwards. My dad is putting the turkey on right now as we speak. And so the only thing better than one Thanksgiving meal is two Thanksgiving meals. I'm sure there's probably something about sin laced in there someplace. Um, but no, I think God gives us all good things to enjoy, and boy, I'm going to enjoy that this afternoon. And John won't have to eat his Thanksgiving meal in the hospital reheated like he did on Thursday. Um, but as a result, on Thursday, while John and Emily were in the hospital, we actually were all at his brother's house, uh, Mike, in Nashville. And as we're there, it, it was fun. He's got three kids, I've got three kids. Unfortunately, my, you know, my family will be here for the second service because, yes, I have teenagers. And so they're not going to be at the first service. They're going to be at the second service. Go figure. Um, but as we were there, he has three, Mike has three kids that are, uh, they look like my kids were when they were younger, you know, and, and, and so now I have young adults and teenagers, but he has one little boy. His name is Eli. And uh, Eli is a ball of energy. And I, and I looked at Mike and I said, Mike, I remember uh, when my son was that age, I said, he had so much energy. My youngest, Luke, I said, you know what, sometimes it was just so much energy, especially before we would sit down to eat, I'd be like, hey, Luke, I want you to go take 10 laps around the house and uh, just get some energy out. Any of you ever done that to your children before? Okay, yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we actually lived on a large property in France. That's where Luke and Mika were born. And in those uh, 10 years we were living there, it was, it was similar to this, trees and leaves. I mean, you kind of look out there, you see the leaves everywhere, and, and, and it looked kind of like Luke had so much energy, wanted to say to him, okay, Luke, you know, I, I don't have a rake, I don't have a, a leaf blower. Luke, I want you to go out there and pick up every leaf and bring it back into a big pile, you know, thinking that would wear him out. Of course, then as he get all, got older, it would be, all right, Dad, that'll be a dollar a leaf, you know, it's kind of, and I'm sure some of you have been, once your kids start to understand the economy and, you know, money and the value, then they start to work on you in that way. Well, you know, that would seem like an impossible task, right? Go, if, I, if I were to tell my son, go out and pick up every leaf until you don't find any more leaves, that would be a pretty impossible task to do. But this is the question I have for us this morning. Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus gave us an impossible task to do? What do I mean by that? Well, think about Think about these two scriptures for a moment. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You've heard this before. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? Of all the nations. You, see, you can't really see that, that letter, that word there. All is, is a little bit highlighted in blue. All the nations. Or Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said this. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. You've heard of square words and round words, right? Any of you ever said to your wife, you always, or your wife ever said, and you're like, really, do I always do that? Well, we talk, we don't allow square words in our house, always, never. But when Jesus says all or always, guess what he means? He really means all or always. It's not an exaggeration, it's hyperbole. And so when you look at this, and that fact that Jesus Christ is telling us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Does that seem like an impossible task to you? To be quite honest, listen, I, God has given me the responsibility over a mission board and over Word of Life, we have youth ministries in 70 countries around the world. We have about 1,500 missionaries around the world, full-time workers, and, and, and I interact as well with other mission boards that are much larger than ours, and, and I have the privilege of traveling all around the world, and I can tell you, this is what I think about, this is what I meditate on, but at the same time, sometimes I get off of an airplane and I walk into an airport into some country other than the United States of America, and I ask myself the question sometimes, Jesus, did you give us an impossible task to do? All? Every? You know, there are actually 7 billion people on the planet today. At least 7 billion. And and of those 7 billion people, how in the world are we going to reach all 7 billion? That seems impossible, especially when you think of growth rates and say, how are we ever going to even keep up with that? Well, think about this for just a second. In this impossible task, if, if every church, if every church, so let's just take 100,000 churches, there's more than 100,000 churches, but we'll take that. That's a, that's a good number. If 100,000 churches, each one of them, in every single one of those churches, one person came to Christ every week in each of those 100,000 churches. That sounds like a lot, right? I mean, that'd be 52 new people coming to faith in Jesus every year. I don't know. I don't, maybe here in Bible Center, but... I don't know a lot. I know a lot of churches, if they saw 52 people trust Christ every year, that would be, they'd be ecstatic. That would be enormous. 100,000 churches. Do you know that 100,000 churches reaching one new person a week, it would still take over 1,400 years to reach all 7 billion people? But yet, and maybe you've heard this before, but it astounds me every time. One person, if one person leads one person to Christ in one year, not a week, in a year, and that next year, both of those people lead one person to Christ, and in the following year, both of those people lead one person to Christ, 
And now we're no longer talking about addition, we're talking about multiplication. Do you understand that from that one person who has led another to Christ, the entire population of 7 billion people theoretically could be reached in 40 years, less than 40 years. So no, Jesus did not give us an impossible task to do. We're just not doing it right. You want to blow, it blows my mind even more. That is if one person is obedient in leading another. But right here, even just this morning in this first service, I don't know how many, a few hundred people here. That means that if every single person here won one person to Christ and that multiplied out, this world theoretically could be one of seven billion in much less than 40 years. And then imagine all of Charleston, if every church was obedient and every believer was obedient. And imagine all across the United States, Jesus did not give us an impossible task to do. But what's the problem? Is that we have turned reaching others to Christ. It's gone from something not, it's gone from the professionals, from the people to the professionals, right? That, I really believe that's what the issue we have today. We think about evangelism, which is simply telling the good news to somebody else. And remember, that's all that you and I are responsible for is sharing the good message of Jesus Christ, not saving anybody or not converting anybody. That's not what our responsibility is. God's the one who saves, but we're the one who shares, right? But the problem is, is that throughout the years, there's been this great disconnection between the pulpit and the pew, or the professional and the people, right? And, and all of a sudden, for, for some reason, eventually, instead of seeing it as our responsibility to share our faith with others, we are happy to put money in the offering plate and say, well, listen, that's what Pastor Matt does, and that's what Pastor John does, and that's what Michelle does. I mean, we got a director of city ministry, so, hey, Michelle, go for it, win the city. We're behind you. That is an impossible task. And, and so what was Jesus trying to get us to do when he was talking about this? And I really believe it comes down to this. We all, and, and Michelle actually used this term when she was up here, and I said, thank you, Jesus. She said, expand your circle. Because we today, all of us live and what I would just call circles of relationship, right? How can we reach every person everywhere with the good news of Jesus Christ? It's simple. So, you know what it's through? It's not through the platform. It's not through the pulpit. It's not through events or campaigns. It's through circles of relationship. Circles of relationship. You see, every single one of us here have circles of relationship, don't we? We have different kinds of circles. Uh, some of those circles, the first circle, maybe the smallest circle, I would call a comfort circle, right? The people that we're, we're comfortable with. The people that, you know, we get out of, that would be our family, our closest friends, the people that you can kind of roll out of bed, looking the way you look, you're not worried about it, you're hanging out in your PJs, your hair's all over the place, you don't smell great, you don't have your face on yet, 
you know, whatever it might be, it's your comfort circle. All of us have that comfort circle. In fact, probably some of you, you know, over Thanksgiving, this is where we live, most of us, around Thanksgiving, don't we? Comfort circle. Comfortable. Family, food, football, there it is. We just get to hang out with the people that we love. Comfort circle. Uh, but then we also have community circles. What's a community circle? Well, a community circle would be right here. This is a perfect example of a community circle. Bible center community. You know that when you walk through those doors on Sunday morning, most of you, if this is more than your first time here, you're part of a community. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You don't necessarily recognize, you, you recognize more or less everybody, you recognize faces, you don't know everybody's name, but you feel like you're in community. Now, now, comf now the comfort circle, you know, I, some of you, that was my, those were my best friends. Even I had a couple, you know, three, I just got to see one of them yesterday, just for a few minutes. We hadn't seen each other in ages, and it was like we hadn't missed a day. You know, you got friends like that. And friends that we knew on a Friday night, if we didn't have any other plans, we had plans when I was in high school. We always knew this, we were going to be doing these three things if we didn't have any other plans. That was my comfort circle. But then that community circle were the people that maybe I didn't necessarily, I wasn't completely tight with them, but we were, we were friends. We, we felt good around each other. We felt comfortable, yes, but we felt in community. And that's what you feel right here at Bible Center. Uh, you're in your community groups. You're, you're, maybe your Bible studies in the, on, during, the, during the week. Uh, some of you are uh, in community maybe because of the Christian school. Maybe you have kids that go to school. And that's another community. But really, even the body of Christ is a, is a larger community circle. You, you walk into some other event, you go to a Christian concert. You know, have you ever been to a Christian concert? Maybe here in Charleston, and there's churches and Christians from all over the area. And you're sitting there, and you're like, you know, these are my, these are my people, right? I, I, I'm in community here. Uh, there, it's almost like this secret code, you know, when you look at each other and and when you find out that somebody's, have you ever been talking with somebody and all of a sudden you, you find out that they're a Christian and you just kind of go, oh, oh yeah. And, and you know what? That's actually a really cool thing. That's a great thing. That's, that's the body of Christ where I don't even have to know your name. I don't have to know where you come from. I don't have to know anything about you. But the fact that you know Jesus and that you're part of the body of Christ gives us a community that we never knew we had, that we didn't have otherwise. It gives us a connection. It gives us a, a comfort level of familiarity. That, that's a beautiful thing. And, and those two circles, the comfort circles and the community circles, are wonderful, wonderful circles, and we need those circles. But what's the problem? The problem is that 99% of us, and that's, I would say this, the vast majority of us end up eventually living and spending the vast majority of our time 
in those two circles. In fact, that's often what happens with a new believer. A new believer comes to faith in Christ, whether they came to an event, whether they heard it from somebody, they end up going to a class, and then if we're not careful, pretty soon they get sucked into spending all of their time in a community circle. And the circles of relationship that Jesus meant for us to have all of a sudden get smaller and smaller and smaller when they were meant to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why I would say we need to have a third circle. Folks right here at Bible Center Church, you need to have a third circle. You can have a comfort circle. You can have a community circle. But you got to have what I would call a cause circle. And what is a cause circle? A cause circle is who is in my cause circle? Who am I intentionally looking to influence for the sake of the gospel? Who am I praying for? Who am I caring for? Who am I sharing with specifically for the cause of Christ? You could call it a great commission circle if you want. But for the cause of Jesus, do you have a cause circle in your life? Or have you shrunken down to a comfort in a community circle? If you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 41... We see the, the beginning of the church, right? And we see this explosion of new converts. And Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, boom, a mega church, all right, all of a sudden. In verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now look at verse 47. It says this, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. House to house, meals together. This is a picture of how quickly the gospel moved off the platform and among the people. The result was what? The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, now look what it says there. It says, having favor with all the people, right? Favor. It was attractive. This, this new thing, this Christianity as they were sharing together was something that was attractive to them. The grace and the love and the generosity. Now, when people were to look at your life, when, you talk about these, when we talk about these circles of relationship, would people look at Bible Center? Would people look at you as an individual member of this church or the body of Christ? Would they look at you and say, wow, I have never seen grace and love and generosity like in this person. And that you would find favor with the people? I, unfortunately today, in many ways, Christians in our society have a bad name. Not a good name. 
because we have been more concerned about things that don't really matter. We've been too political. We've been too hypocritical. We've been too judgmental. Instead of being loving and gracious and generous like the very first believers were. Because that first church found favor with all the people. And as a result of that favor, they were adding the Lord. Who, who was it? Not the people were adding. The Lord was adding to their number every day. Can I tell you, if we become a church that is gracious and loving, like this world has never seen, the Lord will add to our number. We're not going to have to try to strategize it out. Really, the sign and the, the health of a the sign of a healthy church, I mean a truly healthy church, and this is what I'm preaching now to our ministries around the world. You know, John Page, John and Christy Page, you know them. Uh, some of you, they're amazing missionaries with us in South Africa, doing a tremendous job. Thank you. This is Christy's home church. Thank you for, for how you have given and blessed them. And they are, they are doing a tremendous job. And John was just with us in a conference when we were talking about this. The health of a word of life ministry, but I also believe probably the health of Bible Center Church is not seen in how many people come to Christ in our events. It's by how many people are coming to Christ in between our events, through our circles of relationship. And that is what happened here in Acts chapter 2. The challenge is a lot of us think that we carry with us this like Christian aura. Have you ever thought that before? That maybe the, uh, well, Chris, listen, I'm a, I'm a witness for Jesus. When I go to Walmart, I am nice to people. I mean, I go to Sam's Club, maybe like my parents, my mother like lives in Sam's Club. We, we, she does, I said, Mom, you've never passed a Sam's Club, have you? She's literally never passed one. She always stops. She always has something. My dad and I sit in the, sit in the car and our, 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 jo our game is to see how many bags of stuff she's going to come out with from Sam's Club. Maybe he's like, hey, I go to Sam's Club when I eat those samples. I look at her and I say, thank you. Maybe I get a real, maybe I get real bold and I say, God bless you. I'm a witness, Chris. I'm a witness for Jesus. Because somehow we think that because we're kind in a general way, that just that has got this Christian aura that's going to draw people to him. But folks, it's much more than that. It's much more intentional. It's much more specific in our circles of relationship. Do you know people who don't know Jesus? You see, that's the challenge, right? As we live more and more in our circles of comfort, in our circles of community, it's easy for us to not know people who don't know Jesus. Now, a lot of you, you're in your workplaces, and maybe you're surrounded with unbelievers. But 
Have you ever found a way of intentionally inviting those unbelievers into your circle of relationship? Not just hoping that they'll somehow catch Christianity like some strange disease as you walk by them and say, God bless you. Because if people who don't know Jesus never know someone who knows Jesus, how will they ever know Jesus, right? The, the people in this world have to know and personally know someone who knows Jesus for them to know Jesus. And guess who those people are? You and me. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, you, you know this text well. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul asks these questions that are fantastic, right? He says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach, they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you're like, Chris, there it is. You see, you just disproved your own point. It says right there, it says, how will they preach unless they are sent? That's for the missionaries and the pastors and the seminary graduates. That's not for me. I've never been sent. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1-8? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And you're like, Chris, that's talking to the apostles. And I said, guess what? The apostles are no longer with us. And that is why the church was born, because now, through every single one of us, we are told, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians that we are now ambassadors of Jesus to this world, begging the world to be reconciled to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. That's you and me. You and I have been sent. We've been sent where? To our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria. And how does that happen? It happens through circles of relationship. You see, Jesus, I really, he's really not talking about the fact, and this is the amazing thing. A lot of us, we think about sharing our faith as something that means I have to go to Africa or I have to go to some unknown land. You know, you, you give the teenager a choice between going on a mission trip with pythons and strange food or sharing their faith in their school cafeteria with their friend, and they'll choose the python every day, right? And all, most of us were the same way. Put me on a missions trip. But don't make me expand my circle of relationship right where I am. But that is the way that we reach the undermost parts of the earth, isn't it? Because if every circle grows, and that circle grows a little farther and a little farther and a little farther, eventually it spreads across the earth and it covers the earth. That is how the name of God and the glory of Jesus Christ will spread across the face of this earth. Not through mass evangelism and mass campaigns, but through you and I expanding our circles of relationship for the sake of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, he not only told us this, he modeled it. 
Matthew chapter 9 says that Jesus went on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened, verse 10, as Jesus was reclining on the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the disciples, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You see, we live in a world, in our, in our Christian world today, where somehow we think that what God wants us to do is to do more. Do more. Do more. But no, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the Pharisees who were always about doing more. They, he looked at the Pharisees, he says, don't do more, do better. Love better. He says, I don't desire for you to sacrifice more. Go and learn, go and learn. He's saying this to the religious people and maybe Jesus is saying that to us this morning as well. Go and learn. It's not about doing more. It's about loving better. Compassion. Jesus says, what I really desire is compassion. Not, not a comfort, not just a comfort circle, not just a community circle, but could we say this, a compassion circle, right? Where we would have the compassion of reaching outside of ourselves. I think of my wife, my wife, is, she'll be here in the next service. Today is our 23rd anniversary. So in case she thinks I forgot, I did say it even publicly. Today's my anniversary. And I just is proof of how scatterbrained I am that I have to say that this morning. So my wife, I remember when I first met her, she was 16 years old and I was 18 years old. And I remember saying to her, she, she went to a Christian school, but she made a very intentional effort to have non-Christian friends. And one of the ways she did that was through basketball. And so she played basketball and she invited a girl from the local basketball team, the public school team. She invited a couple of those girls to play in a small tournament with her. And one of these girls' name was Becca, Becca Robinson. And I remember the first time that I, I met Debbie when she was 16 years old and I was 18 years old and I was at the Bible Institute and she was actually a senior in high school. And we talked and, you know, and I said, this girl is amazing. And and I knew she was spiritually minded. And so when I'm done, I, we're done talking for like an hour. You know, as a good Bible Institute student, I asked this really spiritual question. I said, how can I pray for you? You know? And you know what she said to me? She didn't say, well, you know what? Pray, uh, you know, pray for my schoolwork. You know, it's really tough. It's my senior year. She didn't say, you know, pray for my aunt who's struggling with you know, uh, this, uh, with this uh, infirmity. She said, no, pray for Becca. I said, who's Becca? She said, Becca's a girl that I'm trying to win to Christ. Becca's a girl that I'm playing on this basketball team. And every time I'd ask her, what can I pray for? Then I knew it was Becca. It was Becca. It was Becca. And so for a year, over a year, 
I prayed for Becca, and I knew that Debbie was praying for Becca. And a year went by, and then she was on the, she invited Becca to come to camp and to spend a couple days with her at, at a camp activity. And it wasn't in the event. It wasn't when the gospel was being preached from the platform. Instead, it was on a rock right nearby that my wife at 16 years old one night led Becca to Christ, her friend from the public school. And Becca came from a family, none of them knew Jesus. Becca eventually ended up, she had a scholarship to go play basketball at a university. She ended up giving up that scholarship because she wanted to come and study at the Bible Institute. She came and studied at the World Life Bible Institute up, up in New York. She ended up going down and becoming the dean of women for our Bible Institute in Hudson, Florida, that John was talking about. And today, Becca is a missionary, a church planning missionary in Uruguay. A little, just a girl from Scroon Lake, New York, who became an intentional part of an expanded circle of relationship from my wife. And I could tell you story after story, and I know there are those kind of stories right here in this congregation. And one of the things I love about this church, and I can already sense it, and as I was walking out and looking at the, uh, the timeline of the church and looking all the way back in the 1930s, and it said the City Bible Center, right? City was actually part of your name right here. And I, and I love as we talk about getting into the city, and as I've talked with John, he's talking about the vision of we want to be a church that God uses to transform the city of Charleston. Amen. But can I remind you of something? That will never happen from right here. That will never happen even with events, I know you, you did the, the church down on the levee, which was fantastic. It almost got flooded out, I, apparently, but that, that's a great event. Events are important. Events are kickstarters. Events are opportunities, but events will never win this city. The only thing that will win this city are bigger and bolder circles of relationship by the people sitting right here in these pews bigger and bolder circles. Who is in your cause circle? You don't have anybody? You don't have a name that you're constantly praying for? You don't have somebody that you're constantly sharing with? You don't have somebody in your radar? Then find somebody. You say, Chris, but you don't understand. I'm retired and I'm not involved in anything anymore, and I'm not at my work anymore. Where I, I don't really don't know a lot of unbelievers. Well, find a way. Get involved. Join a club. Join a, join a, a group outside of this place. Get involved in some way. Find an intentional way, not just to walk by and say, God bless you to the Walmart greeter, but to actually develop a relationship a relationship with somebody who doesn't know, know Jesus. And that is how the city of Charleston will hear the good news and be transformed. Just want to finish with one verse here. It's not up on the screen, but I love this. Just in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, just a couple chapters later, 
Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all boldness. So they were praying for boldness. And then what happened? Two verses later, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do what? Speak the word of God with boldness. He said, Chris, I'm scared to death to share my faith or to create a bigger circle. Well, listen, just start with relationship and pray for boldness. Start with relationship. Find that relationship and then ask God for boldness because you know what happens when you pray for boldness? God gives you boldness. When you pray for opportunity, God gives you opportunity. And guess what? You don't have to be a seminary graduate to share your faith. You already have all the tools because you have a story. You have a gospel story. It's your story. Nobody can argue with it. Nobody can take, you, take it away from you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, and one day you simply place your faith and trust in him as your Savior, you have a story, and that story can be shared with somebody with whom you have relationship, and that's all. You have that tool. There's no more tool that's more powerful than the gospel story of your own life. And pray, say, dear God, will you give me People that don't know you, help me expand my circle and then give me boldness and opportunity to share my story with someone else. Why don't we pray for that right now? Father, I pray for myself that even this week you might give me another opportunity to share what you've done in my life with someone that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray for these here right now, every single person in every seat in this auditorium. Oh God, would you allow them to create a bigger and bolder circle of relationship for the sake of the gospel. Implant in the heart and mind of each one even right now a name or a face or more, multiple names, multiple faces. Grant them favor with those people. And may they see Jesus, but then may they hear of Jesus from us. And Lord, we pray that the entire city of Charleston will be transformed by these circles of relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.